Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. I am so excited to have this conversation today with Marianne O'Hara. Marianne has written books and published short stories before publishing Cascade, a novel that explores what lasts. It was the Boston Globe Book Club's inaugural pick, a finalist for the Massachusetts, Massachusetts Book Award and a People Magazine Book of the Week. Little Matches, her new book, is inspired by 9LiveNotes.com, a blog that Marianne kept while her daughter Caitlin was waiting for a lung transplant. Since Caitlin's passing, she has been certified by the, by the University of Vermont's Larner College of Medicine as an end-of-life doula so that she may better speak to the state of end-of-life care in our culture. Harper Collins published Little Matches, a memoir of grief and life in April. People Magazine has selected it as its book of the week and called it bracingly honest and deeply comforting. Marianne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Hi there. I'm going to run through the public service announcements, hopefully quicker than you can fast forward through through this part of the show, which is my guess of what many of you probably do. So if you have not subscribed to my newsletter yet, I have not been super great about sending it out, but I am recommitting to it for the fall. So please go ahead and do that at dramyrobbins.com. You'll get updates on what the upcoming shows are, as well as my uh, bi-weekly soul wisdoms, where I just bring you information that comes to me in meditation. So if you go ahead and subscribe or subscribe to my newsletter. Also, if you are subscribed to my podcast or think you are, you might not be because Apple just updated their podcast app. And so you might no longer be following me. So if you go to the podcast app, you can click on follow. I think it's three dots at the top and just click follow to resubscribe you to my show. Just make sure this way you're getting all the new episodes. Uh, also, you can find me on YouTube where I am videoing with the guests. So you can see that. Not sure videoing is actually a word, but we just made it one. And lastly, oh, there's two more things. Patreon, you can contribute to the show, which I would be so grateful for. Just go to patreon.com and put in my name. And lastly, Fireside, super exciting platform. It is in the iOS store right now, the app store. You can only get it if you have an iPhone device, but here you can partake live in the conversation. So it's an awesome way to listen to the show and ask questions of my guests if you have them. Most of the shows are on Thursdays, but if you follow me on Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins, I always post when the shows are. So check all of that out. Thank you for your support, and here is today's show. So I sort of, I read this book quite quickly. It is an incredibly poignant, touching memoir of your life with your daughter. Can you tell us about Caitlin and a little bit about her story? Sure. Uh, Caitlin was my person. I miss her terribly, and I'm so happy to... um, have written this book, it's kind of establishing her legacy because she deserved it. She was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, a genetic lung disease, when she was two. 
So she lived with it all her life. But CF is kind of an invisible disease for most people. It's a, it, there's a very slow progression. So she was able to live a, an independent, normal life most of the time. But it definitely affected um, who she was. Emergencies could be frequent and always unexpected. And we would have to drop everything, go in the hospital for a couple of weeks. But she still managed to do so much with her life. Um, she had a really great outlook on life never felt sorry for herself at all and really tried to live the best life she could. And she was a delight to parent. I only have one, had one child. It's so hard to even word that anymore. Um, I was a reluctant mother. I had her young. I didn't ever really think I wanted kids. And boy, she was just fabulous. Very fiery, knew her own mind from the very beginning extremely kind, but not a pushover at all. She was a leader. She was cool. Yeah. I mean, you really got the sense of who she was in the book. And I think that often when it it seems like when parents have children who have health issues, it's almost like they come into this world having a higher sense of knowing or, um, and it seemed that way with Caitlin too. Like it just... The way that yeah, she had that this, she wrote and mm-hmm. early wisdom. Um, always had just a, a very mature point of view from the earliest days, and was kind of a sage to all of her friends. And everyone sort of looked to her for for advice, for a smart point of view. She was, yeah. And, and that is often the case that kids with serious illness are wise beyond their years. And, and Caitlin did admit in, or confess the last summer of her life that she, to her best friend, she was afraid that her purpose here on earth had been um, to set an example for others, to teach others lessons. And she was a little afraid of that. She did certainly did not want to die. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us a bit about the journey at the end, which was, really emotional. I mean, how do you as a mother, you know, as I was reading the book as a mother myself, I obviously identified. And I think that a lot of times people say things like, I can never imagine um, what Mm -hmm. that's like. But I think the reality is we can all imagine what that would be like and imagine that we couldn't survive it. Right. And, and here you are. Exactly. And I really, it's actually, I I opened the book saying, um, people say, I can't imagine. And I think, really, you can't imagine. How can your mind not go to the dark places? Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's part of being human, right? We all know that we are going to end our human life eventually. And then when you have a sick kid, you can't help but think about it. But um, I really didn't think I could survive. I, it was absolutely horrifying. Those early months and days were just, I, all I really did was flop from one service to the next and cry and cry and cry. And the only thing that helped was writing on that blog and sharing insights and wisdom of Caitlin's and hearing from strangers who said that the writing was helping them. So nine months after her passing, I thought, well, I can write a book. I can do that. And that was sort of a way forward. And I spent the next couple of years doing that. And, you know, the last year has been the book in production and now talking about it. 
So let's talk spirituality because that's obviously a lot of the underpinnings of this podcast. But also, mm-hmm. you know, what I, what I really appreciated and what I'm curious about is how I, I've had experiences with loved ones who have passed. Um, and I think I often think about if it was my own child, how the relationship changes but also, would I even still be spiritual in that way? You know, that's like, how do you continue? Because you want that person back. Like, I, that, right. that's what I would imagine I would feel like. It's like, I just, I don't care that she's giving me, you know, ladybugs or butterflies mm-hmm. or number exactly. threes for you, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, want, mm-hmm. I want her back. So how do you yeah. kind of, First, tell us what some of the signs you've received, because they're they're unmistakable. I mean, what you well, the the signs are are incredible. And I I actually speak to that a lot in the book because it was it was part of it's part of the story. And, yeah, I get things like 33s and hawks, but in incredible, crazy ways, but also get other things like I talk about being in California one time and it was just one thing after another, like going into a, a little tarot reading thing on Abbot Kinney Boulevard and, and pulling the Ace of Cups and then immediately going from there into a little boutique and there was a single t-shirt for sale with that same Ace of Cups just sitting there folded looking at me and a young woman is spelling her name out to the cashier, C-A-I-T-L-I-N. And it was just one thing after another that day in, in, in California and those kinds of things happen all the time. So it gets to the point where you start to think, well, I have to take this seriously. I have to at least look into it. You know, is it, is it really that much of a stretch considering that we all exist anyway? Is it really that much of a stretch to imagine something a little bit more? Not really. I mean, what the way we live now would have been considered magic and probably frightening to people not that long ago. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, fri- it's frightening even, to me now. I know. I mean, I'm still, I'm still fascinated by telephones. How can I talk to someone in Africa and they can hear my voice sitting here in in Boston? So I, but you're right. Um, Caitlin and I often mused on the ideas of reincarnation and, and soul groups, et cetera, but it was all ruminative and it was interesting and, and nothing was at stake. And then when she was really gone, it became much harder to believe in any of that, as much as I wanted to, it just seemed like wishful thinking. I was a desperate mother. And and yes, even though the signs come thick and fast and sometimes seem completely unmistakable, it's not the same as having her here. It's And, and so consequently, I've just learned to live with grief. It's never going to go away. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm still alive and I love life and I love my people and I love nature and I'm happy to be alive, but it's not, it will never be what it was. Mm-hmm. And I still cry a lot. Like I actually did about 40 minutes ago. <laughs> so I know I, you know? <laughs> I think I said when we started and I'm probably going to start crying now because it's so the, the book is just so beautifully written and you can feel it's it's almost like you could step into you in so many ways and just feel what the ups and the downs because for 
how long? Two years? Three years? You were waiting for her to get a lung transplant. You had totally Almost three years. Three years. Yeah. You had totally lit. You lived in a different state in Philly. Was it Philly? In Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. yeah, for many reasons. We had to go to Pittsburgh. So, yeah, we had to up and move and just wait. We hoped it would be a couple of months at the most. And it was, we spent two years in Pittsburgh and we spent one year waiting in Boston before we moved to Pittsburgh. So, it was, a lot of that was, it was an interesting time. At one point, Caitlin said, you know, this is still my life and I can't live this time as if I'm just waiting for this to be over because this could be it. And as much as we don't want to admit that, I don't want to live this this time of my life as if I'm just waiting for it to be over when this is my life. So we we were always really able to live in the moment anyway in our lives because when you live with a, a serious illness, as long as everything's good right now, like my motto was like, let's not ruin today worrying about tomorrow. Hmm. And and for the most part, you know, we did live in the moment and most moments were, were great and, and fine and normal. And then when we were waiting for the transplant, but it did, it did get hard. I mean, when we went into, you know, signing the second year's lease on an apartment, I mean, and here we had a home and an apartment in Boston, just like sitting here empty, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a hard wait. But now looking back, knowing that those were her last years alive I'm glad they were as, as good as they were mm-hmm. how did, and yeah I would go back sorry no I was just going to ask where so where do you under where do you fall now on understanding spirituality and what happens when we die you've now since become an end-of-life doula mm-hmm. since yes. Caitlin died and Yeah, I I did that training because I knew I was going to be speaking a lot about end-of-life issues with this book, and I am going to be speaking to medical groups starting the end of this month, coincidentally or not. The first talk is on Caitlin's birthday, Mm -hmm. July 31st. But I am more of the mind now that there are no real coincidences. And I show the arc. I mean, obviously, I am a writer and I constructed the book so that you would want to turn those pages and you would feel like you knew what it was like to be me and you would know Caitlin. And the arc of the book really is me looking for answers to the big life questions. Mm -hmm. You know, where is she? Is she? Is there more to life than this life? Does consciousness survive death? So I set off in search of answers to those questions. And those kinds of answers you have to discover that kind of knowing for yourself. It is such a difference between believing something and knowing something to be true. And I really have come to know that there is something more because so much has happened and I have been such an objective observer of what's happened that for me, the knowing is there, Mm -hmm. but my knowing isn't somebody else's knowing. So I lay out what happened in a very objective way. And then it's, I I hope that number one, that the book encourages people to, to really appreciate and, and, and love life and realize that the end is coming for all of us, Mm -hmm. you know? And so you might as well enjoy your life as best you can. And also to at least open up the mind. I I can, I really can't understand being closed minded about anything that we don't, you know, 
hundred percent know to be true. All right. Like this, this is thing that I'm holding in my hands exists. Anything else? Why, why be closed minded at either end? Like totally or totally believing in something with no real proof or, or disbelieving. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think you, you actually, this was Caitlin's, I pulled this quote out of the book, the miracle of human beings is that we are all able to go on living, despite the certainty that we will die. And then she says, I kind of love that. Yeah. And she was writing to her, her really close friend, Jess, who, as I write in the book, you know, Jess was extremely healthy, came for a visit to Pittsburgh was I brought her down to a waiting Uber and she was, you know, had tears in her eyes saying, I love Caitlin so much. It just kills me to see her like this. And two months later, Jess was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And she's been dealing with that for the last couple of years. And yet she has now started, founded a resource center in Kenya in Caitlin's honor and is groundbreaking next month on the Caitlin O'Hara Community Health Center for Women and Children. So mm. I, I, I love that Caitlin had written to Jess and Jess really, the letter she wrote to Jess was just so encouraging and she had shared it with me and Jess allowed me to put it in the book about just, yeah, we are all going to die. So let's live, let's right. live while we can right. so and let's how do everything live? we can. Yeah. And Jess is just, she just took that and ran with it. And she's actually home right now taking a class at Harvard in public health. Like she's just amazing. And, and yet she, she did all this to honor Caitlin. So I think it's really important too how much we can help each other be better human beings Mm -hmm. because really we're all connected in it. What's it really all about at the end of the day? Mm -hmm. We, we are human beings who need to be connected to each other. I mean, I can't really imagine what the one thing I really can't imagine is if suddenly nobody else on earth existed and I was all alone here, it would just be horrible. Right. And, and your connection to Caitlin still feels like, does it feel like it dissipates at all or is it still really strong? Like, how do you maintain that? How does, what does your relationship with her look like now? Well, a lot of times I just pretend she's like, I'll just talk to her. And sometimes it feels like pretending and sometimes it feels real. As I wrote in the book at one point about um, two years after her passing, I I felt a distinct sense on the left-hand side of my brain. I was in Salisbury Cathedral in England, a place that she and I had wanted to visit. And I suddenly felt this feeling that felt like electric bubble wrap buzzing the left side of my head. And it started happening more and more. And I knew it was her. It was like that knowing, like I knew it was her. But I, at the same time, my other half of my brain is saying, what? Maybe you have a brain tumor. Right. <laughs> Maybe something's wrong here. And yet it continued to happen and it continues to happen to this day. And I've learned to just think, okay, well, that's Caitlin. That's Caitlin communicating. Is it the same as having her beside me, you know, having a good laugh about something or a good conversation about something? No, I kind of have to do that in an interior way, mm-hmm. but I do feel like she is with me. And it's been really interesting since this book came out at the end of April, because I've just been talking about the topics of the book so much and not so much about her 
And that's why I was really looking forward to these kinds of conversations where I feel like I'm just talking about the good stuff Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to just really dissecting grief and all of that. I mean, I have a lot to say about grief and the end of life issues, but I also really love talking about the other part of my subtitle, which is grief and light. There's a lot of light. I certainly didn't write the book to depress people. No, and it wasn't. I mean, it was, it's interesting Mm -hmm. when you're reading a memoir and you know what's going to happen, right? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. and yet I still, and that was one of the things that I was so aware of is, is I know what's going to happen. What is driving my wanting to turn the page? You know, part of it was to see how it happened, obviously, but also because her, her life seemed and her perspective seemed so positive in the face of, you know, knowing, I mean, there was, there was hope that she -hmm. would get a lung transplant and survive, but. Right. But she also knew that she wouldn't live a long life, especially Mm -hmm. once you have a lung transplant, like a friend of hers that I write about in the book, she was like seven years out at the time that I am talking about her. And now she's, you know, 14 years out and she almost died. I mean, you just really never know what's Mm -hmm. going to happen in this, in this world. But generally speaking, people with lung transplants don't, you know, live to a ripe old age. So she certainly expected to get more life, but she had a feeling she wouldn't live a long life. Mm -hmm. So that definitely affected how she lived and the way she thought and why she was able to sort of be such an old sort of old soul sage to her, to all of her people. Yeah, I think another thing that she said, you you think it is all important, but all that really matters is loving people and being kind. And, you know, she said that to me in a very scolding way. She didn't say that in a pious way at all. She was basically, I was fretting about, you know, nonsense. She was like, oh, for God's sakes, mom. You know, don't you realize that none of that really matters? All that really matters is loving people and being kind. And, you know, you hear that a lot from everybody type people. And and, and yet it's really true, really, at the end of the day, at the end of your life, what is really going to have mattered? Not much, except the people and the the love that Mm -hmm. you had and that you gave. So I I love that she was so... um, sassy and fiery but also like so soulful mm-hmm. at the same time it was a really great combo mm-hmm. and what how did your you don't talk about this so much in the book but I'm curious about it because a lot of people talk about marriages really I mean many marriages don't survive mm-hmm. this sort yes of and grief and you were living separate mm-hmm. for quite some time Yeah, for the most part, he would come like every two weeks, Mm -hmm. my husband, Caitlin's dad for, you know, maybe a long weekend or whatever. You know, the fact that she we had been living with her chronic illness from the time she was two, probably helped it. It's not like she was suddenly sick, you know, in her late 20s. That might have disrupted our life more Mm -hmm. than needing the transplant and having to move to Pittsburgh did. But it was, I can tell you that when she was diagnosed, it was hard. And not long after the diagnosis, um, my husband's 29-year-old brother died of a brain aneurysm, like just totally healthy, left behind a a little girl and a pregnant wife. So 
my husband actually had to, our marriage had to process a lot of stuff a long time ago. So now we're kind of like old hands at it. And I remember um, in the beginning of, of Little Matches, I just say, you know, I'm careful and kind with Nick. He has lost his daughter too. You know, and he handles grief differently than I do. We're, we're actually, I just, I had a really interesting astrology reading for my birthday in May. And the guy was just, he's just, he, he reads your chart like he's reading a nautical chart. Like, okay, the rocks are over here. Watch out for the wind here, blah, 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 blah. And I kept saying, wow, this is really resonating. He's just, he, and he's just like, yeah, that's how it works. And he's just like, <laughs> matter of fact, guy right. with this fast talking Long Island accent. But basically he was talking about Caitlin and I, we had so much Pluto in our charts. We could like look at death. We could look at what's hard in life. And then he read Nick and he's just like, what's he doing with you two? You know, you guys see something scary and you go and investigate and he runs out of the room. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was, but then he also pointed out like, that's a good balance, you know, because I don't need to be in the, in the abyss all the time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes he needs to peek in. So we've, we've learned to make it work, I guess. And we've been together, you know, there's a lot to be said for growing up with somebody. I met him when I was 20 years old, living in Ireland and I, I, you know, even when he drives me crazy, and I'm sure I drive him crazy, it's hard to imagine not being married to him. Mm-hmm. So, so what does your work look like, your end of life work look like now? Well, I've always been a, a volunteer. And before Caitlin, okay. before we had to go to Pittsburgh, I volunteered at Boston Brigham and Women's Hospital doing Reiki on people. Um, and Reiki, and that's another thing that I just took the course thinking, I don't know, I want to see what this is about. I I knew that Caitlin and I had long experienced these energy surges that we could feel. Like, we were really connected. There was one time when I was, like, doing her, her physical therapy on her, and we, I, I heard, we both heard this noise. Like, it was like blub, blub, blub kind of an energy thing. We both just stared at each other. So I, I took the Reiki class, not even knowing if I believed in it or what. And it was actually quite powerful. And what I realized was that when you go into somebody's hospital room and they're suffering, especially people with you know cancer, end of life issues, and you close the door, you put a sign on the door, unless it's an emergency, please don't disturb for 20 minutes. And you turn on calming music and you just give them like 20 minutes of kind, caring attention I thought, well, that's valuable. <laughs> you know, that alone is valuable, regardless of what you believe about, like energy coming through the Reiki person to help clear the energy of the of the recipient. So for me, it's all about kindness. And so I did the end of life doula class mainly. So I just wanted to know as much as I could about the state of end of life care, which you know is in need of help for sure mm-hmm. in this country. And you know, there are things there are things happening, and it's it's getting there. But then I had planned to start hospice training late last year, 2020. And then uh, with COVID, I couldn't. So I don't plan to hang up, hang up a shingle and be an end of life doula. An end of life doula is somebody who can come in, you know, at the, at the time of diagnosis and stay with the the client and the family until the passing and beyond and do everything that needs doing. It's somebody who can really almost like a a really empathic assistant who can help you do anything that needs doing in, in all ways. 
I plan to do legacy work, life, helping people write life stories. Mm. And I, and you don't have to be at end of life to do that. I've created a little workshop that I've given a couple of times now with a slideshow and then a 15 minute how to conduct a life interview with yourself or a loved one. And it's been really well received. And I love that because I think, I think everyone should have their story told or heard. And also it can be a really great tool for self-reflection. You know, you don't have to be elderly or at the end, you know, or living with a serious disease to sit down and really reflect on your life. So the questions I put together are questions that have people reflect on their life. Am I on the right path? Um, what would I change? And I, so anyway, to me, it's doing legacy work is fun. And so I, actually yesterday I met with a really cool 90 year old and spent a couple of hours listening to her story. She's not sure she wants to do. She doesn't really even have anyone left in her life. Mm. And she's like, well, who, who wants, who would want my stories? Well, you can take pleasure in, in reflecting on them and telling them as she did for two hours, just talking. And then um, somebody that she works with who, you know, helps care for her said, I would love your stories after you're gone. So that's going to be my little book niche. in your future. Well, I was writing another novel when Caitlin was waiting for her lung transplant. And it actually weirdly touched on um, legacy and life stories. So I would like to go back to that. I never had planned to write a memoir or the personal, but I mean, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Because I'm going to be doing a lot of talking in the next year. Or so we'll see. Well, and I think, Everybody has a story they want told, right? I mean, as a therapist, that's what I experienced, right? You want people right. to see you. Right. You want your story to be known. You want it to be heard. You want someone to bear witness in some way to your life. And yes. and my patients were all strangers, right, before I knew them and they told their story. And, you know, all of them I've been so deeply touched and moved by that their story has transformed me. And I don't think as a therapist, therapists talk enough about how our patients transform us. You know, we think about our job is to help heal, help them Mm -hmm. heal. I don't say heal them, help them heal Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. help them transform. But it's a mutual experience. Anytime we tell our story, hopefully that the person is listening and being transformed by some part of it. I, I love that. And I, and I think if you were the kind of therapist who wasn't affected that way, I don't know how good Effective of a therapist is, you would yeah. be. Yeah. I, actually, one of the things um, I'll be talking about in my, in my medical talk is how this one um, doctor who really discovered that Dr. Zach discovered that oxytocin, when we hear a story that engages us, oxytocin is is released from our brain, and it also helps with reciprocal engagement. I have to learn to say that word. Well, it probably touches on, in some way, the interpersonal neurobiology. Have you looked at Dan Siegel's work in that? Siegel, Siegel, Dan Siegel, mm-hmm. Mindside Institute. I think I think he's Mindside out of um, California, and he talks a lot about mirror neurons and interpersonal right. neurobiology. Exactly. So, okay, two more things. Um, 
And then I'm going to open it up because we're on fireside. So if people want to ask questions or come on uh, and just share their story, happy to open that up. But you pose this book at the you pose this question at the end of the book, uh, which I think is the question we all should be asking ourselves all the time, which is what is your role in this lifetime? Mm-hmm. And so how do you see us figuring that out and how do we work to grow our souls? Because that's always the work that I'm fascinated by is how do we help people grow their souls and really figure out what their role is in this lifetime? Right. I, I have come upon the idea of like, okay, perhaps reincarnation is a real thing. It makes a lot of sense. There's been some great research done on it for years done at the University of Virginia for one example. Mm-hmm. But why not like play a little game of what if like it can be really instructive to take a minute to just imagine it's true. Imagine it's true that we chose these lives, planned these courses of events to challenge our souls to grow. If that's true, can you look back on your life and pick out which events tested you in such a way that you ended up being a better human being? I certainly can do that and look back. I mean, I was the person who really didn't want kids and that unexpected love that I got from motherhood. It totally changed my life. It was the most profound growth experience of my life. I would be a completely different person if I had not been the mother to Caitlin. So I, I think that you can just say, okay, regardless of what I believe, let's just imagine it's true. And if it's true, you usually can look back and see I mean, we, again, we come back to that knowing we, we know what feels right intuitively and what doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And we know when we're on the wrong path or we're with the wrong people, et cetera. So play a little game of what if, and, and the same thing with the synchronicities, like my, my feeling about all the synchronicities that have happened with Caitlin is regardless of how, how you think they've come to be, there's no question that they exist. They happen. You can call them coincidence. You can call them crazy coincidence. You can come call them meaningful coincidences, but they happen and they can comfort you. Mm-hmm. So why not take the comfort mm-hmm. and will live you, inside that magic? Will you tell us the mom one? Oh I my posted. gosh. The this, one. this one was amazing. You posted about was, this on Instagram yeah, too. I did. It was, um, it was the summer after Caitlin's passing, July. We were having a, a party, a celebration of her life with all of her friends on Martha's Vineyard, her favorite, one of her favorite places in the world, and a place that's really special to us. And it was great and it was wonderful, but you know, it was still very raw and it was hard. And I went out for a long ride out up island, way out a long road called Lobsterville Road. But even in the height of summer, there's just nobody out there. It's just long, empty stretches of beach. And the last time Caitlin and I had been on island, we had gone for a long drive out there. And the road ends at the water. And we had just stood there taking pictures of each other, et cetera. So I'm driving out this long road. And I'm talking aloud to her saying, all right, well, you know, people say to talk aloud to you. But how come, you know, if you're really out there, how come we really can't communicate? Um, This is just horrible. And I started talking aloud. And I was crying and just saying, you know, this feeling like an afterlife is a fantasy. She's not here. I'm never going to see her again. And I, 
I said aloud, I loved you from the first minute. No one will ever call me mom again. And I kept driving and I turned into the dead end area. And there's a man all by himself out there carrying a burlap bag that had three big red letters on it that spelled M-O-M. And I was just, oh, I'm getting all the tingles right now. I know, me right too, now, me too. <laughs> to and I, I mean, I, I snapped a picture of him and I just pulled my car over and I was just like, man, I mean, how can you deny the power of that? And yet even still, like this was still very early days. I'm like, wow, that's a that, that's quite the coincidence. Mm-hmm. And yet those kinds of things have just happened again and again and again and again. That um, And I also talk about, Caitlin's cousin in Ireland, who is an intuitive. And um, is that the one that helped with- you throughout? Mm-hmm. She was, am- she was amazing. <laughs> she is amazing. And she, I've been witness to her sort of from the time she was little. I mean, honestly, she would hate me saying this, but she was conceived in this room. It used to be my sister. <laughs> her parents used just to spend a lot of time here. Just for the world to hear. Just for the I'm world sorry, to hear. <laughs> oh, maybe we can cut this. No, just kidding. Anyway, um, but I've just felt very close. The point is I felt always very close to her, and she felt very connected to Caitlin. And she used to have, you know, the imaginary friends that everyone just thought were imaginary, but... They weren't. And Mm -hmm. when she got into her early 20s, more and more things were happening. And and she was like, I'm getting messages for people and I can see things. And she didn't know what to make of it at first. And she finally, you know, she's 33 now. And she finally grew to accept her her abilities. And now she is a very successful is the word. She's a, a wonderfully working, empathic, intuitive healer in Ireland. And, um, yeah, so why was I even starting to talk about her? Um, um, okay. I'm trying, I'm, I'm just thinking about, <laughs> I, was, just so I, I want to think here. about how her ability to tap into what was going on with Caitlin at the time was so powerful in the book, but that oh, wasn't was, where we were really going like, with it. I know, but that's the thing. There are so many like tangents you can go off on and they're also fascinating, but it was, it was like E.T., the end of ET when ET and Elliot are experiencing the same thing physically. Mm-hmm. Sinead, Sinead was really experiencing what Caitlin was going through. It was quite mind boggling. Oh, my point. I know what it was. My point was that I know that people like Sinead exist. So there was that to, to help me, you know, not to help my doubt mm-hmm. that there's something going on. Mm-hmm. There's definitely something, there's something going on for sure. And I have, um, I didn't seek them out, but I've ended up having some really incredible experiences with mediums who are good ones. You know, I, certainly there are frauds out there and that's unfortunate because they, they ruin it for everybody. Right. But the bad ones in any field ruin it, can ruin it for anybody mm-hmm. really. And, you know, these people who do a lot of work with grieving people and, and, ha- you know, one of them has a whole page on her website, how to protect yourself from frauds. Don't become too dependent on mediums. You know, it can be such a crutch. So. And I think to your point, there's the believing, which I think happens in mediumship. You know, like I believe that they were in contact with my loved one. 
And then there's the knowing, which I think when you have the connections that you've had, certainly the things that have happened to me, it becomes undeniable that that is, it just, it just becomes a part of you. You're like, oh yeah, that's, that is the truth. And the thing that really stuck out to me too, when when I started sharing these stories on my blog in the, before I wrote Little Matches, the most unlikely people would contact me and say, these things have happened. And people are afraid to talk about them. Mm-hmm. Everyone qualifies what they're saying. Oh, well, this is, you know, probably sounds crazy, but, right. and everybody has these stories. And also if you read um, some of the wonderful books written by like hospice nurses about situations that happen at end of life for people and they're fascinating reads actually, because this stuff has been going on forever mm-hmm. <laughs> since humans existed and something quite magical happens it can happen at end of life when people are transitioning and they start to see the next world and mm-hmm. and await it with um happiness i mean honestly sometimes i'm just like <laughs> i'm done i'm ready right. not really right. but you know sometimes when it's hard and i'm just like ah you know i i think i know i actually write in the book too that if if there's nothing, I kind of imagine it like the end of um, Fitzgerald's Benjamin Button story, like just sort of a gradual disintegration and mm-hmm. it's over. If there is something, I imagine it being like, thank God that hard life on earth is over right. because it is a hard life. It is a very, being in a human body is very challenging. It certainly is. And, f- and, it it, is and feeling human feelings is very challenging. Mm-hmm. It is. So it makes sense that it's, and Caitlin called this earth a ropes course for souls. And I love that. She had said to her boyfriend, you know, this place is just like a ropes course for souls. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we, we all um, are challenged. And she said, like, imagine all the people living life in peace. Well, that wouldn't really work if you believe we need to be challenged to grow. Right. And I liked, I liked that. Right. That's, that's maybe what the other side is for living the life of peace. Exactly. Oh, I hope so. Wouldn't want to go from Earth to worse. No, <laughs> especially after this past year and a half. Seriously, um, if people are interested, I'm going to open this up for anybody who's in the audience on Fireside to come on up and speak and ask questions. But before we do that, where can people find you? Your book is called Little Matches. Why do you mm-hmm. call it Little Matches? It's um, actually from Virginia Woolf to the Lighthouse a book that Caitlin and I both loved toward the end when she says, what is the meaning of life? Um, little matches struck in the dark, really. That's all we can really do is keep lighting up the dark with, mm-hmm. with little bits of light, trying to illuminate the way. And yeah, I, I'm Marianne O'Hara on every platform, M-A-R-Y-A-N-N-E-O-H-A-R-A. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, even though I don't use Twitter much. I'm there. And that's my website too. And the book is anywhere books are sold. And I love hearing from readers. So, and I recorded the audio book and my voice sounded much better than it does today. I think I'm full of pollen today. (laughs) It sounds fine to me, but uh, yeah. And it's, it's just a beautifully, you know, I've said this a couple of times, beautifully written book. I know it's summer, so it could, it, it actually can be a beach read. It is not, it's heavy, but not so heavy that you can't get through it. It's just meaningful and 
gives you perspective and a, a look at life and opens you up in ways that really can help move you forward, whoever you are. Like, I think you don't have to be, you you know, struggling with illness or anything. It's just about living life. It's truly about living life. And I I wrote it to be inspirational. And it has been a little bit of a challenge for some people because I've had so many people say, oh, my God, I was so afraid to read this. And now I can't put it down. Mm -hmm. So that's it definitely depends on that kind of word of mouth, because some people will just think, oh, grief book. It's not. Mm -mm. It's a life book. It's ha- it's how to live. Right. Right. And and I think it's interesting because <laughs> the people who are, might be afraid to read it are probably also the people who are saying they can't imagine what what it would be like, right? And like they're right there because they're so afraid to read it that they don't want to get in touch with the feelings that we're mortal. All of us. Yeah, that well that's certainly one point for sure. Well, okay, I'm going to open it up. If anybody wants to come on stage and have a little discussion with us today, please just, I guess, raise your hand. I'm still sort of new with this, so figuring it out. Um, Anybody want to come on up? No. Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay. Hi, John. Hi, Amy. And How hello, Marianne. I think this is the first time I've had a chance to. Uh, oh, I recognize this you. voice. Um, but uh, no, <laughs> this is a, this is a fascinating show and um, and such a great topic. Uh, Marianne, I'm actually ordering your book as soon as I get off of here, actually. Um, oh, I thought as, you I thought I recognized your voice, but you just sound like somebody. Another John, I know. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, which is funny because we'll be showing doing a show on doppelgangers here before too long. So uh, maybe you can come well, on and talk about that. <laughs> well, you have you have a wonderful voice, and so does he. Oh, thank you. That's I funny. appreciate well, th- that. Thank you so much. Um, but as a uh, as someone who has had a near death experience, and also someone who is is very open to uh, these concepts, this is. Uh, a wonderful conversation. I'm so glad that you two decided to do this. And, and Marianne, I'm really fascinated with your story, and I'm very much looking forward to uh, to reading your book. Um, I'm curious, beyond the connections that you had with Caitlin, or have you had any other experiences you could tell us about? I, I have certainly tons, yes, tons with Caitlin, but also my mother passed in the last year. And interestingly enough, um, she was very afraid of death. She was one of those people who like slept with the light on. And even though she was quite sick at the end, she really hoped she would have 10 more years. And finally, I just sort of talked to the elephant in the room one night. And I just said, Mom, I I just have to tell you. And I I said what I believed to be most true. I said, I know there's more. I know there's more. You're going to see all the people you love. And it's going to be great. And then she died in June. And in August, I was visiting this woman who does a lot of like amazing energy work. And she was just sort of like running her hands like above my body. And she said, Oh, the left side, this is mother energy. Has your mother passed? And I said, Yeah, she just did. And she's saying, Well, she's saying, you were right. You were right. Did you guys have an argument? And I said, No. And that just made sense to me. And i my mom, it was June 26th, and in the last few weeks, I've just been getting crazy amounts of hummingbird signs, and I know that's my mom, so it's, you know, kind of fun. 
That's fascinating stuff. You know, I'm, a, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm definitely a firm believer that there is definitely something past this. Like I rubbed up against it myself. So I, yeah, I if you've had a near death experience for sure. Yeah. I was just so. reading a new book by uh, one of the doctors who's done so much research, real scientific research into the near death experiences. Um, it's called after. after. Yeah. Bruce. Yeah. Reason. I had him on the yeah. show when the book oh, came did? out. Yeah. What was yeah, the fast- Grayson, Bruce, Bruce Grayson. Grayson. Yeah. Bruce the Grayson. the okay. book is called After. Yeah. And you can also, okay. I interviewed him a while back on the podcast, on my podcast that you could find on, uh, I don't know, wherever people find podcasts, Spotify. Oh, I'm adding it Apple. to my playlist for the day, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll listen to it too when I'm, next time I'm driving into the city. Yeah, his research is phenomenal. It, it really is. And, you know, he really started out as such a skeptic and afraid for his career, saying he feigned so much more um, skepticism than he really actually felt early on because he was terrified of ruining his medical career. Well, and I appreciate where he's coming from, because when I had these experiences, if people have heard my story, it was really when I was in grad school and I started having these visits and I was I didn't it took me 20 years to finally yeah come out with this podcast, which is a long journey, but my way of pulling this all together, because I was nervous that doctors were going to stop referring patients to me. And that's my livelihood. And what if people think that that woman who claims she has had visits from dead loved ones and patients loved ones, I'm not sending people to her. Exactly. That's a very real fear. mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So thanks, John, so much for your coming yeah, up and you, for John. your question. Victoria, if you want to unmute uh, and just join us in the conversation. Hey, it's a wonderful to meet both of you. And I'm Hi. looking forward. Hi. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Amy. Hi. I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to the full recording of this because I apologize. I came in late, but. Ignore the beginning when it's like we have a lot of back (laughs) reverberation because I told Marianne to mute and then I didn't mute. (laughs) You just missed the technical difficulties. Right. right. (laughs) Oh, perfect. Perfect. But this is this is something that has I actually started a podcast not too long ago um, called Celebrations of Life. And I haven't continued it. And it was really because of my coming to terms with and and dealing with a number of people that had passed away in my life. But I wanted to share a story that um, they, you know, kind of like what Marianne was sharing. It it was a very close person passed away right before, actually at the height of COVID. I mean, to the point where we couldn't have a proper funeral and we couldn't, um, Mm. we couldn't do all the things that you would normally you know, do and have family and friends and everything around. But what was so interesting was the day that we were having the funeral, it was pouring. It was, I mean, I've never seen it rain like that before. And it had not rained, you know, the few days before. It was like beautiful weather. So I said, um, you know, I know you, to this close person who passed, who I just can't say right now, um, But I said, I know you, and I know you're probably there, 
with everybody and you're already making friends. So do me a favor, make sure when we're there, it's just not going to rain. I know you, I know you could do this. And, and it was so interesting because right before I, I could just feel so much love pouring through me and just letting me know that everything was okay. Well, sure enough, we get there, it's raining cats and dogs and we're sitting in the car. And then all of a sudden it stopped raining <laughs> at the moment where we needed to come out. We came out. It was really beautiful. We had the perfect <laughs> ceremony and we had, you know, close people on iPads and all. And then everybody left and I took a moment to be there alone. And I went into the car and I said to my husband, OK, we could go. And then it started to rain again. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Thank That's you. great. Mm-hmm. That's so great. Thanks for so, sharing that. Well, and I Thanks think, so um, thank you so much, Victoria. And I think, Marianne, to your point, the conversation is bi-directional, right? We could talk yeah. to them, they can talk to us. Just how they talk to us isn't the same as we're, as we're talking to each other right now. As we're it doesn't used to, mean, exactly. mean that there isn't communication. Exactly. And, you know, people like yourself told me that in the beginning and I just couldn't believe it would ever really come to pass, but it has, you know, in the last couple of years, like I, it's wonderful. Lily, we have one more question. Lily, did you want to ask a question or make a comment? Okay. Well, I think that's brave, Marianne, um, you know, accepting, you know, living in grief, but with the magic of the, it's the sync, the comfort of the synchronicities, um, you know, so much okay. that, resonates with me um you know that you've both covered today and just kindness you know as marianne mm-hmm. noted you know um, for people in the hospital just the and the quiet and kindness because that's that actually helped me get through um essentially you know a very near-death experience mm-hmm. and and um but really the synchronicities I, I never heard the term you know where i've had um those instances so it, you know, it helps to, um, you know, Correct. just have a frame framework with that, and just even this past week, just so much um, thought, and your conversation just really resonated in so many ways, and uh, okay. I'm so sorry for for your loss. That 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 that's such a profound loss, and um, but, you. but you know, the life, you know, um, you know, resonates in how. You're, you know, connecting with other people. Yeah, it it makes, it gives my day's purpose. I'm really happy Caitlin's story is out there for everybody to be inspired by. Yes, thank you for sharing thank here. Thank you so much. Thanks, thank Lily. you for sharing. And if no one else has anything, then we will wrap this up okay today. thank you so much thank um, you but i i like this platform that was so cool that those people could just come on and talk yeah, like that you can you can yeah. now you're on it so mm-hmm. yeah you'll um if you follow people and things like that then they'll give you notifications for different right yeah it's interesting i like it thanks well, thank you so much today, Marianne, for your time and um, you. for sharing your story and Caitlin's story. It is, I can't, I, everybody needs to go buy this book because it is, it is that good. It is worth, thank well so worth much. the read. So thank you. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? 
Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.